Welcome to the Rebel and Be Well podcast, hosted by Krista Rimel, registered nurse, founder and CEO of Lifestyle Medicine Retreat Center, The Point Retreats, which is located amidst the woods and waters of northern Minnesota. During her podcast, Krista will interview experienced and successful healthcare professionals on outside-the-box health topics. During their time together, they will have in-depth discussions with trusted medical and health and wellness leaders to discover what they do to stay well using traditional and non-traditional health practices. Experts will share not only what, but why they practice the holistic lifestyle medicine they do and the science that backs their less than mainstream ideas. You'll hear the real and relatable personal health struggles of healthcare providers and what rebelling outside of the traditional healthcare system did to better their lives, careers, and health. Tune in to listen and learn the mind-body-spirit practices from conventional health experts who share hope and inspiration from honest stories of healing while reflecting the scientific-based evidence to wisely guide the inner rebel inside you. It's time to rebel and be well. Welcome, Anne, to the Rebel and Be Well podcast. I'm elated to be talking with you today, but before we dive into our conversation, I would like to share a little more about you with our listeners by sharing your bio and background. Anne Bancroft is a Minnesota native. She earned a teaching degree from the University of Oregon and taught for a few years before joining a dog sled team to the North Pole. Anne took her childhood dream and turned it into a reality as she became the first woman to travel across the ice to the top of the world. She seeks to not only explore remote places in the world like the Arctic, but more importantly, she seeks to teach important life lessons along the way. Her desire to educate, combined with her passion for leading expeditions around the world, has inspired millions globally. Anne also started the Anne Bancroft Foundation in Minnesota that gives small monetary grants to girls to try and experience that will bring courage and confidence, while giving girls the strength to achieve their full potential. Anne, thank you for being here with me on this cold and snowy day in Minnesota. I imagine this would be a mild winter day in the Arctic and one that we'll hopefully experience when you join us at the Point Retreats in early February. I've heard from many of my colleagues and close friends that you are one of the most inspiring public speakers they have heard. Hence, I'm more than eager to lean in and learn more about you today and then again next month. Today, I hope to give our audience a glimpse into your life as an educator and explorer and how the lessons you have learned during every trek around the world could be applied to life today. Learn it and live it. Important life lessons that are not contained inside Four Walls with Anne Bancroft. So Anne, I'd love to start by going back to the beginning. Can you tell me a little bit about the young Anne who once dreamed of going to the Arctic? Well, first, let me just say thank you so much for having me, and I look forward to the retreat uh, next month, and I do hope it's as snowy as it is today, because that's <laughs> where I just get high energy. So so thank you. Uh, the young Anne. The young Anne was uh, yeah, a lot like the old Anne, a little weird and <laughs> <laughs> uh, doesn't take herself too seriously in some respects. Um I grew up in St. Paul. Um, we uh, lived um, in a rural community. Uh, it's no longer rural. Things change. Yeah. Um, but it was a wonderful environment for my sibs and myself because we just 
headed out the door um, and adventure was right there in the mm-hmm. back fields. And we didn't have a huge neighborhood. So mm-hmm. we played a lot with each other and our cousins lived nearby. And so um, we were kind of just a little, you know, gang. And I think having so such a small neighborhood in a way enhanced our abilities and I include them as well um, to have really the chance to let our imagination flourish. Sure. Um, and we did that outside just playing every day after school and on weekends and it was marvelous. And I mm-hmm. think it really shaped a lot of how I sort of navigate the world today as an adult. You know, I have to tell the audience when we connected, it was so sweet. I brought up the snow and you're, you just got like this big grin you were like a kid again. <laughs> so obviously there is something about, you know, just that imagination that nature inspires most of us to have, but clearly had an impact on you from a young age um, to through adulthood. Um, and I can still see that in your face um, as we're talking. So that's really fun. The name of our podcast, as you've probably gathered here, is the Rebel and Be Well podcast. And this is really about encouraging people to take both a traditional and non-traditional path to both life, career, health, what have you. Um, And you're clearly someone who has kind of fought outside the box. You know, for myself, I can parallel parallel this to say... I'm a nurse. I'm a former healthcare administrator. I had this goal of climbing the corporate healthcare ladder and had this epiphany somewhere along the way through some different experiences that that really wasn't fulfilling me and how I wanted to show up in this world, the mark I wanted to leave. Um, but it kind of left me with a little bit of this feeling of like, well, she's the rebel. She got out like she did something different. And I look at you. You're a teacher turned famous Arctic explorer. Did others, and maybe it's your siblings that you just talked about, have others perceived you as a rebel in any way? If you talk to my mom, when I listened to her stories when I was very, very young, I did always have this spirit of wanting to head out. I mean, she had to sort of cage me up as a little toddler mm-hmm. because I I was climbing the bookshelves before I could walk and I was heading out into the orchard and... You know, she just couldn't keep track of me. So I, um, you know, from the get go, I sort of had, and perhaps that is somewhat for a little girl growing up um, with aspirations that other little girls did not have. Sure. Um, perhaps that's somewhat of a rebel mentality, but I, mm-hmm. I do think I have this spirit where um, I just, I, I, I do like to sort of take the road mm-hmm. that is less traveled. Mm-hmm. Um, that inspires me, that energizes me. When you say I can't, I just get fired up and I want to show whoever is saying that, that right. you can. Yeah. And so perhaps that's a bit of a rebel. Clearly, I've been lucky enough to blaze trails that others have not been able to blaze. And that is... Mm-hmm. A wonderful privilege. And I think that's the kind of as as we're perceiving it at the point, kind of the ultimate definition of being, you know, a trailblazer, a rebel, doing something different. As I'm looking at the picture behind you as we're talking, I see this incredible photo of Anne pulling a sled in the Arctic. And, you know, you didn't. You didn't let anything stop you, even though I'm sure at that time in the world there were plenty of people to go 
you know, and that's, that's kind of a silly dream. Like what, where are you going with this? Um, so I love that you kept that spirit of, you know, if someone says I can't, that just inspires you to say I can, you know, you see that picture in the background and it's, it looks like there's just, just me out mm-hmm. there in the white land, but I have never done any of this alone. So when I was a little girl dreaming about the top and the bottom of the world, I can tell you my parents didn't think I was going to do it, but they certainly never gave me that idea and Mm -hmm. they didn't clip my wings Mm. just because, you know, it was out there. Mm -hmm. Um, They, they were incredibly supportive. I had teachers that saw a spark in my eye and, you know, they nurtured that, that spark and, and all these expeditions, you know, there's one or two or four of us or eight of us or whatever the number of the team is on the ice. Yeah. But that really belies the amount of ground swelling of support that we find uh, to do these endeavors. Mm-hmm. And so I, I always want to remind people that in actuality, we're not achieving anything alone. Mm-hmm. We have our support systems that encourage us to keep that spirit alive. And, and that's really, really important. I love that you honor the team and the people around you that, that were part of, of making that possible. Um, how did you find those people? How did you find like-minded explorers like yourself? It's like any work you network and Mm -hmm. you put your vision forward. You know, somebody passes on somebody that they know that just this would just resonate and, and you just sort of take that journey just like you would in any career path. And pretty soon they, they fall in line. And I know there's not a lot of people that want to go to the top and the bottom of the world like the way we do it. Mm-hmm. But when you do cast your net, you do catch a few wonderful fish that actually <laughs> have the same passion for what yeah. you're wanting to do. And, and they join in. Yeah. And perhaps that's, you know, I'd, I've never thought about it this way, but perhaps that is why I have been so fortunate to, on my large, large expeditions, the big public ones, all my team members and I are still friends. Mm-hmm. And I have to say that that is throughout time is mm-hmm. a rarity. If you mm-hmm. read, as I do, all the polar books and the history, um, it's a highly competitive world. It's mm-hmm. a, it's can be very secretive because, you know, people are wanting to be first and this, that, and the other thing. And there's a lot of egos involved, but on all my major polar expeditions, I have remained friends with the, with the team members. And, and that's a a true gift. And I, you know, I'm not sure always why that is, but Mm -hmm. um, I think because you, you, in part, you do appreciate the people that come forward with the same passion for the mission. Mm-hmm. In recent years, I've done a lot of talking and I, and I'm going to talk a little bit about this at the retreat, but mer, you know, my journey of really discovering passion and purpose. Mm-hmm. And when that happened, much like your story of how you needed to sort of get off a different, you know, onto a slightly different track mm-hmm. um, in your career, um, that was true for me too. I mean, I love teaching, right? <laughs> um, but I needed to find a different way to teach and really bring my two passions together, my passion for the out of doors and my passion for education and kids. And, mm-hmm. and once I figured that out and then I could put a vehicle in place 
to create a mission to share that. Mm-hmm. And when you do that, you know, you're sort of unstoppable because yeah. you're driving with a different kind of gasoline, if, if you will. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a fuel in you that changes beyond your own personal ambition, if that makes any sense. Yes. And, and as soon as I had a broader mission than my own ambition, and you can't let go of your own ambition. But when I went beyond it and sort of, you know, created this educational component with my edu- with my expedition, that cha- that was a game changer. You know, and that's a big part of our point platform is we not only want to educate people, but we want people to have the experiences to go alongside of those. So it's kind of this, as I mentioned, like this, learn it, but then live it. You know, I feel really fortunate like you, Anne, where I'm, I'm living a big part of what I feel like is my life's purpose in this work. And that's a lot of what we'll talk about at our retreat is, is kind of getting back to that, you know, core center of your purpose and your passion. And I think it's so easy to lose that as we just go through, you know, day to day uh, in life. And that's why I find you so inspiring. And I'm sure why so many find you so inspiring, because it's so clear, you know, even as I'm sitting across from you, I see it, I hear it, I feel it. And that's really what we want to give people at this experience and, and where they'll be hearing you speak in February. How have you sustained that purpose and that passion through all these years? Has it waxed and waned? Has it like once you found it, it's like, nope, it was always there. What have you done to nurture that? I think I'm, I'm very fortunate in that I have, you know, millions of young people mm-hmm. <laughs> who sort of feed the, you know, feed that in me yeah. um, and remind me, you know, just when I think I'm going to teach them on an expedition as I'm sharing the journey with, you know, 3 million, 5 million kids, mm-hmm. one of them pops up somewhere in the world and teaches me something, you know, the very mm-hmm. thing I came to that I thought I could teach them. They've mm-hmm. got the clarity. They've got the succinctness to sort of lay it out there like mm-hmm. kids do. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't feel like my purpose has waned. I think I'm always looking for creative ways for the delivery okay. because the world changes and mm-hmm. the technology changes and, and my expeditions are changing. I mean, somebody asked me the other day, uh, do you have trouble after you've done, you know, the top and the bottom of the world and Mm -hmm. Greenland and all of these things and summits of mountains, when you do a trip down the Mississippi or something like that, do people, you know, feel like, you know, that sort of lackluster. Mm -hmm. And, and I said, you know, they do feel that they want Mm -hmm. a first and they want something epic. Um, but I'm not there. I'm, I feel like it adventure, it comes in many packages. Mm -hmm. And so what has changed is I need to sort of educate my audience all the time Mm -hmm. as, as sort of society changes and as my expeditions, um, change in terms of where I go, Mm -hmm. the delivery of what I do with kids, um, and education hasn't wavered. That's been sort of steadfast. And I've kept my promise since 1986 when I realized I needed to do something bigger than my own my own ambitions. Mm-hmm. Um, it manifested, of course, with what I knew, and that was curriculum. Yeah. Um, so that's been the same. Um, but 
and and really that is the mission. Mm-hmm. But the way the sort of the containers of all of it are constantly shifting. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's sort of like the way we're existing in COVID, where mm-hmm. business is not as usual, but mm-hmm. we are pivoting and adjusting, and some of it we may continue. You know, mm-hmm. as we sort of piloted mm-hmm. these last two years of of behaviors and yeah, um, and practices, and some of it we're will be glad to throw out. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, so that's the way I think um, my expeditions and my my mission to what I do in terms of education. Yeah, um, sort of you know sort of lands and evolve. Evolve. If that makes any kind of sense. <laughs> it does. No, it absolutely does. And I, I kind of hear you saying you almost re-experience every adventure through others' eyes and then are able to share a lot of both past, present, and kind of future purpose and passion in every expedition. Well, when you when you open up an expedition, as we have been doing, you know, these public expeditions and you create curriculum and you uh, commit to communicating about that mm-hmm. expedition to a wider audience. Mm-hmm. What I came to realize long ago is that the journey is no longer just mine. Mm-hmm. You, it's everybody's. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, it is a collaborative endeavor because I do have to listen to how it's being interpreted and how mm-hmm. it's, how it's being experienced through the eyes of all sorts of people. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have, K through 12 is our primary audience for the education, but that's not, you know, we're K through, you know, 95. So it's, it is a really collaborative Mm -hmm. experience. Mm -hmm. So has it changed a lot? So if you look at your first expedition and what year was that completed? That was in the eighties. Is that correct? Yeah. 86. Okay. In 86. So what you had to do in 86 versus say, if you were preparing and leading an expedition now, what are some of the similarities and the differences? Huh, that's a great question. I, I love that question because I love preparation. The basics do not change. Um, you have to do the basics. And, you know, as a teacher, I love talking about that because it's the homework. Yeah. You have to prepare and it doesn't matter how much experience you've had. It does not matter at all. If you're going back to the North Pole or back to the South Pole, you still have to do your homework. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what changed is once you get sort of uh, pinnacle achievements done, you have to be more conscious of that mm-hmm. because it's kind of easy to be a little bit cavalier. Mm-hmm. But as soon as you're cavalier about something like that, you know, you're you're going to miss something. And there is no margin of error in the things that I do. So Mm -hmm. it's about a two percent margin of error. And Mm -hmm. that we like to give over to Mother Nature. So we we really want to be about 98 percent ready for the endeavor and for things that are we hope will never happen. Because if you prepare for those mentally and physically, but specifically, specifically mentally, um, odds are they won't happen. And if Mm -hmm. they do, you're, you're almost rote in the Mm -hmm. way you respond, Mm -hmm. whether that's falling in a crevasse or, (laughs) you know, meeting a polar bear. If you've gone over the scenarios, you're ahead of the game. Um, you're not sort of flat footed. And so the basics, nothing has changed. I think 
what is exciting about expeditions from a preparation standpoint is that the technologies are always changing. And when Mm -hmm. I talk about technologies, I'm not talking about just the computer or the Mm -hmm. sat phone. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about clothing technology. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about food technology. Mm -hmm. So nutrition is is incredibly important. We work with nutritionalists before we go sure. to make sure that we're getting the right kind of calories, mm-hmm. not just calories. Right. Um, Looking at your macronutrients. The, yeah, for yeah. 100 days. And so, you know, we don't want to lose a lot of weight. We want to maintain our, I, I call it the engine. You know, the mm-hmm. engine should be working as high, highly efficient the first two weeks as it is you know, the 60th week. Right. And that takes a significant amount of planning for the expeditions that you take. This isn't just two weeks. This is months. And to sustain not only the energy output, you know, to sustain the energy output, you have to be putting in the right nutrients. Um, So that takes some really mindful planning to take that with for months because, you know, there's no gas station or target along the way in the Arctic. I'm imagining it's like you got to take with what you need and be prepared. Um, And don't lose it. (laughs) And don't lose it. Yes. As the nurse, usually on the trips, there's this expectation, like you said, of I have to think of X, Y, and Z. It probably is not going to happen. But if it does, everyone's going to be really upset if the nurse doesn't have something with to be prepared for it. So my wilderness first aid kit is quite large. I can't imagine <laughs> what you bring to the Arctic for four months. But what's something in a first aid kit that you bring to the Arctic that someone may not think you need? First, let me just say that I work with these wonderful doctors that help us put the kit together based yeah. on the specific trip, because sure. every trip has different issues um, or challenges that create um, potential challenges, I guess. And they always, your profession always wants to have the most enormous kit because you're yes. used to it. <laughs> yes, <we> used <laughs> you to know, you, crash carts. <laughs> you, yes, yeah. you, have a, you have an ambulance. You have something with wheels on that can mm-hmm. carry it. Um, so that the first challenge for me is to work with them to trim it down right um to the the essentials and really you know what I do with them is I I give them the top 10 injuries that are probable okay and then we work from there otherwise I can't pick up that kit um (laughs) I think the thing that when back in the day and I'm I love emergency medicine Mm -hmm. I I wished I sort of I'm a wannabe um but I think on my North Pole trip, for instance, I think the thing that that um, made my eyes go wide was the dental tool. Hmm. Um, so if somebody had an abscess mm-hmm. or um, something was badly wrong <laughs> with a tooth, yeah. this was this was the thing that was going to take it out. And the then extractor. the medicine that would. Yeah. I had never taken anything quite like that on an expedition before. <laughs> and you were just hoping you did not have to use it. <laughs> oh, no. no oh, no. goodness. So, yeah. That's something I would not have thought about. But you're right. You can't sustain a, an expedition for four months with an abscess tooth. I mean, you'd have to address it then or there or it could end the expedition. Going back to the Boundary Waters, which I know we both have a love for. You know, I think it's a place in, in our previous conversations, and that we both realize allows one to kind of disconnect from so many of the stressors of today's world, which allow, allows one to find this kind of 
beneficial body, mind, spirit, health and healing. How do you find health in nature? I mean, what's been, has there been a connection there for you or is it more just about the adventure or do you, when you're in nature, feel a health benefit to that? You know, having, uh, right before we connected today, I was outside for shoveling and then skiing. So right out the door, I, I, I just feel energized. Yeah. Um, my head clear. So I think from a health perspective, just getting the cobwebs out, I think mm-hmm. we spend so much time in front of our computers and mm-hmm. our work and, and our frenetic lives. Um, so I, you know, for me, it's an essential, mm-hmm. um, but I, I think, you know, there's been enough studies to, to suggest that exercise and being outside where there isn't a lot of extraneous noise, mm-hmm. for instance, for me, the best way to describe it is almost moves molecules in mm-hmm. you. You know, it, mm-hmm. it, it creates sort of a, an oxygenation that is so wonderful. Mm-hmm. Um, I always feel better. I feel better because I'm moving. Mm-hmm. I feel better because I'm quiet. I feel better because, you know, if I'm trying to write a speech or work out a problem, um, I, I'm clearer of thought suddenly mm-hmm. because I've, I've, I think I've shelved it, but you really haven't. And I think the movement in nature is, mm-hmm. is part of sort of the companion in that. Mm-hmm. They, they work together. I've been trying to write and talk about how nature is so important for our humanness. Mm-hmm. Because I think so many people are disconnected from nature. Mm-hmm. We get caught up on, I don't like to be cold or this, that, and the other thing. And we just, we're not experiencing it. We don't have to really look up in the sky and see what, what the weather is. Mm-hmm. Because we're not dependent on it. We're, we're dependent on somebody telling us. Right. You know, we're thinking about how to get to the house, to the garage, or something like that. But we're, we're not really interacting with it in a humanistic way. And yet we are nature. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's a very hard thing for me to sort of figure out how to communicate that to people who don't really have the experience yet. Sure. Because you can't, I can't take everybody on a trip, you know, as a guide, but, um, and your retreat does it. I mean, I think just slipping away a wee bit out of our environment um, you can have a roof over your head. You can mm-hmm. be comfortable in front of a fire and still intersect with it differently. Mm-hmm. But we do have to pull away, I think, mm-hmm. to find that quiet and that peace. And, you know, because so, not everybody is going to find our beloved boundary waters like we have. Right. I agree 100%. I think now more than ever, that's it's critical. It's important. I think we all have this kind of nature deficit disorder to some degree. Um, you may be the exception because you, you know, clearly have dedicated your life to spending a bulk of your time in nature. And I'm sure it has not always been comfortable. I would imagine there have been <laughs> many times you've been quite uncomfortable. So... <laughs> What have you learned from that? I mean, what has the uncomfortable elements of nature taught you as much as those really kind of peaceful, comforting elements? Oh, that you're alive. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I'm feeling this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. My toes are not very comfortable. I'm alive. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, no, I mean, that's part of it. Isn't that life? You know, mm-hmm. where it's not, 
you learn, you, you experience, you, you learn from uh, the whole stew of it. You don't mm-hmm. get, the, it, it wouldn't mean as much if things were easy mm-hmm. or if they went smoothly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and of course we, we, we seek that out. I seek that out in an expedition. I mean, I really, I hope that I've thought of everything. And of course, what I do know deep in my heart is that there's always going to be um, a challenge. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and there's going to be one that I, I most specifically call my moment of truth, mm-hmm. where it's, it's that really big moment where you've got to decide something and it changes, you know, you learn something so profound, you carry that with you the rest of your life. It's, yeah. it's beyond cold toes or, you know, the tip of your nose disappearing. Sure. So it's, I love expeditions for that because yeah. they provide that wonderful mix. Um, and that's where all the excitement really is. It's yeah. not in the point A to point B, it's in the journey, as they mm-hmm. say. What has been, if you're, if you're willing to share this with us, one of those really big, like deep lessons that you learned, maybe that, you know, you were not expecting to, but it was one of the most impactful parts of the journey. Every expedition, there's a point where you feel like you can no longer, mm-hmm. you know, endure it, or you just don't have it in you anymore. It's mm-hmm. like, I can't put one step in front of the other. Um, I'm going to fail it's all crashing in on me. There's no hope. Um, nothing's going right. They're all different kinds of scenarios mm-hmm. that make you feel like just cashing it in and going under a rock. It's, it's not a comfortable place. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes you're scared for yourself mm-hmm. in, in terms of your physical safety. Sometimes you're scared for your, your reputation. Sometimes you're scared for all of it. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in, in that moment. And when you pass over that threshold and you once again realize you can and you can persevere um, and you solve the problem and you buoyed yourself up, um, it's it's an amazing feeling. Mm-hmm. Um so there's those kinds, and then there's just decisions that you, you make. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in, in 93, I was standing at the South Pole um, in the best shape of my life. I had food in my sled. I had fuel in my sled, enough to cook that food and make water out of ice. And I had enough, and this is the hard part to sort of explain, but I had enough season on Antarctica to continue on the mm-hmm. summer. There was enough summer left okay. to do it safely. And I knew that moment would never come again where I would have all of these mm-hmm. pieces so perfectly aligned, particularly my physical and mental strength mm-hmm. was off the chart. I don't know where it came from. Mm-hmm. It surprised me, mm-hmm. but it was there. But I was the leader of this group and it felt like, at that moment, instead of sending just two people back and two going on, that the best decision that I could make for the legacy of women on Antarctica was to overcome my ego mm-hmm. and my desire mm-hmm. to cross the continent and tell myself that the continent's not going anywhere. I might get another shot at it, probably won't, but the, the best thing that I can do as a leader 
is bring my team home together intact rather than split us off because two were unable to go on. Okay. And it was the most painful decision of my life. Mm -hmm. Still is. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's still the, you know, uh, resonates that way. But there was no doubt. I made the decision in less than a minute um, with a lot of tears. Mm-hmm. Um, um, nobody to help me make the decision. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I was too remote for outside counsel. Right. Um, it was my job as the leader to mm-hmm. make this kind of decision. So I had that weight. Um, and yet it took less than a minute to make. And I was heartsick by it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because I was watching my childhood dream. I dreamed of going across Antarctica since I was the age of 10 years old. Mm-hmm. I thought it was just going up in smoke. And mm-hmm. it was the best decision of my life. It was my moment of truth mm-hmm. to, to, to do what was uncomfortable, but right. Mm-hmm. Right for our team. Yeah. How do you work on staying mentally, physically, spiritually strong? Um, as, as you know, you're going to have those moments. I mean, you had them, right. And some of them you could anticipate and some of them you, you could not, but you have to stay whole body, mind, spirit, just very resilient. How did, how do you work on maintaining that to be prepared for expeditions in general? And then those tough moments that, you know, you're going to come upon. Well, I'm never sure, you know, how I'm sort of readying myself for them other than, um, sort of going back to what, sort of is my tried and true set of tools Mm -hmm. to sort of stay present and with the experiences um, and the plans laid in place that get altered Mm -hmm. so that you, you know, because you're constantly adjusting. Um, And one of those tools is a journal. And I I just love a journal because it's, it's a mixture of techniques. It's the day to day, Mm -hmm. you know, regurgitated. It's, your strategic planning book. It's, it's got your scientific data. It's got, you know, whether you're doing medical um, notations for an organization or you're tracking the weather, um, your position report. So it's also your sort of your nautical container. Yeah. Um, and it's a place to, for me anyway, it's my place to reflect on the day, which is incredibly full. I mean, I'm always really in wonder myself, and I've experienced it a hundred million times. I'm in wonder at how full the day is. So if I miss a day recording what took place, I can never quite fully catch up. Hmm. And yet all we're doing is skiing for 14 or 16 hours a day. You think, well, what's What's the big deal? You know, what are you trying to remember? White is white. But there's so much that goes into that day. It's a really important tool for me. Mm -hmm. And then you have it to look back. So when you're writing the book or Mm -hmm. recounting, uh, needing to go back and recount Mm -hmm. or share with another expedition that's Mm -hmm. getting ready to embark. If they ask Mm -hmm. for your help, you've Mm -hmm. got this resource. Right. You're not you're not relying on memory for any of it. And so for me, they're they're really, really important, powerful mm-hmm. tools. Mm-hmm. And that helps me sort of stay on course. That was one of them. Sure, sure. Your process of, of reflecting and really, in essence, kind of writing your textbooks, right? Like those are your teaching tools for yourself and yeah. others. Yeah, that's my playbook. How many journals <laughs> do you have? Ooh, 
I don't know. Do you know? Two back here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you have you have your own bookcase for them, so quite a few. <laughs> okay. At the point, we really do try and embrace winter, and and as you're probably well aware of, there are health benefits to exposing yourself to cold and exposing yourself to different elements, uh, both mentally and physically. You know, we do things like cold plunges, polar bear plunges in the lake in the middle of February. And, you know, everyone's like, oh, my gosh, there are those crazy people jumping in the lake. We winter fat (laughs) tire bike, we snowshoe. And, you know, we try and do this no matter what the weather elements are, although they're much milder than the Arctic relative to the rest of the country. You know, they still can be quite, quite harsh. But I feel like, you know, we see people really experience a lot of uh, kind of therapeutic, cathartic, like just life changing moments of on a small scale saying, oh, I did that and I didn't think I could. What have you seen? I mean, the Arctic is a whole nother level of elements that you're facing. What has the cold taught you that maybe, you know, a different element could not? If, if it's taught you any lessons, because I know you've been on multiple expeditions, what, what has the cold specifically taught you about yourself or your team or life? The cold is so great because it pulls us all, even those of us who have experienced it, you know, a lot and in lots of different places it pulls us out of our comfort zone. I mean, as, as an animal, we're not built to go out in this weather without some, some help. Um, and that's eating right and dressing right. And, you know, so I always encourage people to do those kinds of things because then it becomes, it starts to become enjoyable. Mm-hmm. And as soon as it's enjoyable, if, and if you're cold, you're not enjoying it. And I am right there. Yeah. There is nothing worse than, you know, um, being just so cold, you're just miserable. Um, and it's scary. Um, mm-hmm. so, you know, the cold has taught me, you know, the value of being out of our comfort zones, mm-hmm. um, and the empowerment that it gives you. I mean, you've just mm-hmm. described it, what you see in, in, uh, your clientele coming to visit the retreats. It it's transformative mm-hmm. because it's, it's a foreign environment for so many. I'm sure that's the, one of the reasons people follow us is they're just so darn curious as to why on earth and how on earth do we exist for a hundred days on Antarctica? Absolutely. And, you know, I mean, we're not in all smiles all the time. So mm-hmm. uh, there's a curiosity about it because it is, it's foreign ground. Mm-hmm. Um, but once you, penetrate into any kind of foreign territory, um, inside or outside, you mm-hmm. know, it just, it changes you and, and gives you a sense of courage and boldness and, um, inspiration that I think is th- where the, you know, that's where the mix of that transformation really can happen. And it's so exciting. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it is as exhilarating as jumping in. Yeah. Yeah. And, there's something empowering about sort of saying it, you know, yeah. I survived the polar bar plunge. I mean, right. it's, it's really sort of great. There's a lesson clearly that you've learned in being uncomfortable. And I hear you encouraging other people, you know, in today's world, like that's almost a novelty because we have, you know, if we're lucky enough to have the resources that, you know, many of us can choose to be comfortable all the time or most of the time. And yeah. 
you lose out on some really big life lessons if you never experience, you know, the uncomfortableness that life teaches you, life can teach you. And nature has a great way of doing that, right? And it's an element we don't have a lot of control over. And so exposing ourselves to it, you can learn a great deal, um, which, you know, you have in, in really profound ways. Another question I had for you, Anne, and I think, you know, myself and others could really learn a lot from this is, you know, something different that you've done is you've taken yourself not only into the elements to be uncomfortable, but quite isolated in a really remote area. And isolation, generally speaking, for most of us up until as of late, has been something we haven't always experienced as probably in depth as you have or to the levels that you have. But now I think we all have had that. And Everybody's trying to figure out how to process that, how to come to terms with that, what to learn from that. When you had those moments of, you know, what I would imagine you had to have moments of feeling very isolated in the Arctic, how did you mentally push yourself through that? And what could, what words could you possibly share that might help those who are feeling really isolated right now get through that? What I've come to learn is that, you know, there's, I have a lot of outdoor friends. Yeah. Most of them do not have any kind of desire or compulsion to go across Antarctica and be isolated for four months. So there is a personality trait mm-hmm. to people who are a, sort of, you know, drawn to these long distance expeditions. Okay. Um, they're not my climbing friends. Mm-hmm. Um, they're high octane. They go up, they come down, they go, you know, they go get a beer. <laughs> <laughs> they talk okay. about the summit, but they get warm again. And okay. they're just, they're not sloggers. That's mm-hmm. the term I use. I'm a slogger. Slogger. The longer the expedition, the better. Yeah. But that's not to say that, um, there are moments within my long expeditions that, you know, where that, that isolation and that mm-hmm. uh, silence, actually, it can be very crushing mm-hmm. and a little bit claustrophobic, oddly enough, hmm. in all of that space mm-hmm. um, to feel kind of um, like it's all caving in on you. Sure. Um, but I'm an introvert. So the first year of COVID, I hate to say it, but it, I, I welcomed it in yeah. a certain way. Yeah. With that, with, aside from worrying about my mom, who's 91, but, sure. you know, I, I, I am fine by myself for a long period of time. Okay. So it's different for me, but I think, I think the thing that COVID um, really has illuminated for me mm-hmm. that is kind of interesting that actually, uh, and some of it is about isolation for people who are less, less, um, comfortable with it mm-hmm. um but it's the ambiguity that it has created i think that is been a really interesting um element to watch because i thought the first year leave and i would because all our work dried up yeah. i thought we would spend time cleaning up our website and doing all of these things in preparation to be ready when the gates opened up and we could blast out Right. We didn't do any of that that first year. I felt so uncreative. Yeah. I didn't paint. I didn't carve spoons. I I didn't fix my website. I didn't do anything, cre- mm-hmm. you know, sort of 
functionally creative. And Mm -hmm. it had a lot to do, finally, I figured it out with this ambiguity that we are all living with. Mm-hmm. It's it's a little different in the second year because I feel like we're inching to the light. But um, I thought that was really an interesting element. I yeah. because for me isolation is is not so much the challenge. But I, I okay. really re- I understand and and feel for most of my friends, yes. for instance, who struggle with it. My extroverted friends were suffering. Mm-hmm. Yes. And you're right. That That's a, a important point to make is, you know, there is a difference in the uncomfortableness that people felt with isolation. Some welcomed it, especially and or could ease into it much quicker if you're more of an introvert where the extroverts were, you know, probably picking up their phones and making a phone call for a change and, you know, just yeah. finding other ways to, to reach out to people. But to some degree, we've all had to, you know, learn how to live with a little bit more isolation than we maybe normally would have. But to your point, the ambiguity or maybe there not being an end date that we can pinpoint to this maybe is a little bit different. Um, and trying to reconcile that takes a different strength. Yes, um, it's very hard to plan yeah. and prepare for things, you yeah. know, and I think that affects everybody and, you know, sort of. But I, I think... Um, you know, the isolation is interesting because we, even us introverts, mm-hmm. we are social creatures. And the other thing I noticed is, you know, I'm a collaborative person and where my ideas really spark is in collaboration. And Zoom did not work as well yeah. for that. It's that that in-person, um, spontaneous sort of and they're talking about it all the time in the work environment. You know, it's passing somebody in the hall and just something sparks an idea or uh, the visual of seeing, you know, other creations of things. Um, that part of the isolation, I did find um, that I was at a deficit and, and it was uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That kind of creative spark, um, and, and just being mm-hmm. with a few others was not there, which I think a lot of teams are really missing right now, you know, families or teams or friendships. Um, and I'm clearly an in-person person too. I know I, you know, people, if they ever ask me, do you want to zoom or meet in person? You know, 99% of the time I'm like in person, please. Um, yeah. which is the nature of what I do in small groups, but it's honestly, you know, I, I started the point thinking, you know, nutrition and movement and sleep and all these things are so important and they are, but we added a fifth one in 2021 community, because I think so many people became very clear whether your community is, you know, three or four or it's 10 or 20 or it's 50 or hundred. I think we all realize we need others to spark something in us, you know, whether it's creativity mm. or connectedness or, you know, just all the different emotions that come in being with others. I can relate. I can very easily be by myself, but it's where I feel like my purpose cup um, mm-hmm. is is filled and hopefully filling others is by being with others. So yeah. I can relate to that. And I, and I think it goes back to what we were talking about earlier Um you know, in terms of moment of truth or things that you learn. Yeah. Um, you know, I think we need humans to sort of, um, I don't know how to articulate it really, but um, it's not just nature that will give you that moment of truth. Sure. You, you've got to have that, that tension with your community. 
with your team, Mm -hmm. with whomever, you know, your partner to sort of work out so that you, you as an individual can grow. If you're not expressing those challenges, whatever they are physically and emotionally, Mm -hmm. mentally, you, you, you're, you know, will stagnate. And that's actually not very fun. It's scary to do all of that Mm -hmm. stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, It's scary probably for many to come to your retreat, Mm -hmm. jump in the ice or, or even probably talk about some of the things you, you help them enter into. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's exhilarating when you, when you allow yourself to do it. Yes. In nature is a great classroom to Mm -hmm. sort of help us um, I, I think, you know, you and I mm-hmm. in particular help us teach others mm-hmm. sort of yes. uh, or help them find their way that way. And nature can add to that in such a great, wonderful way. <laughs> it it does tend to just draw things out of people that could otherwise oh. take hours in a classroom to get to. Um, so it kind of, yeah. ex, it expedites the learning process is what I you would bet. say. Um, but you know, you, you made mention of that very early on in our podcast that, you know, your team, although albeit small, I mean, that was really what made your expeditions go, right? So I think all of us have felt that and and we've seen that when people walk in the door and maybe, you know, we have had many people, especially frontline caregivers, this is the first time they've really been with other people in a social setting and and in nature and and just what they're able to shed and let go of has been really profound. Um, And I'm sure that happened to you and your team over and over and over on all of these expeditions. And it's really a beautiful um, transformation to watch. Well, and I mean, the frontline workers need a pause more than anyone at this moment. Yes, absolutely. Okay, so Anne, I know we're getting to the end of our time here, but I would love to ask you a few fire round questions. And you've already answered one of them here in the last few minutes. Uh-oh. So I'll, I'll bypass the, are you an introvert or an extrovert? Because I've already gotten the answer to that <laughs> one. <laughs> but I've got plenty of other ones if you're game. Sure. Okay. So what is your favorite book? Currently, um, uh, cast. Cast. Okay. Cast. And dream vacation. Africa. Favorite way to spend a day. Reading a book in front of the fire. Pulling cast off the bookshelf there and sitting by the fire. All right. Got it. (laughs) What do you believe the world needs more of today? Gentleness. Mm. Did you try anything new this past year in 2021? Tofu. Tofu. (laughs) I'm laughing because I'm not a big fan of tofu. I want to say I'm sorry, (laughs) but it's good that you spread your wings. (laughs) Okay. So I'm maturing. (laughs) (laughs) I'm surprised. Did you ever have to, you never had to eat tofu in your expeditions, huh? Oh, no. no. No, that did not make it on I the slide. I was never a fan, but I'm working on it. Okay, okay. Okay, so this or that. Are you an early riser or a night owl? Oh. I like that. <laughs> Cat or dog person? Mm, well, I have both, but I would say that I gravitate towards the, the canine more. Okay. Would you prefer to sauna or cold plunge? I kind of like the combo, by the way, that <laughs> if, is, I, if I may. <laughs> I should add that to options because that is a great combo. I would agree. Yes, oh. that's what we tend to do. We cold plunge and then we sauna. Yeah. 
Get the benefits of both. I, I, I sauna first and then cold plunge. And then you cold plunge. So you could teach me. Uh-huh. Well, and vice versa, right? I can try it your way too. So there we go. My, my, way, is, my way is the easier way. <laughs> Eat <laughs> up and then go in. <laughs> I would find it to, I mean, I suppose if you get hot enough, then the cold plunge does feel really good though. Oh, it's heaven. Yeah, I bet. I'll have to try it that way. Quality of life or quantity of life? I would have to say quality. Okay. Black and white or gray? Where do you prefer to sit? Black and white or I'm gray? A, I'm a gray. A gray. Mm-hmm. East coast or west coast? Geography questions are terrible for me. I like it all. Or I should <laughs> add in the north woods of Pequot Lakes, Minnesota. <laughs> north woods for sure. Okay. Uh, west coast. West coast. West coast. Okay. Well, you chose to go to University of Oregon, so I maybe should have guessed That's, that. Oh, yeah. You've done your homework. That's yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you, Anne, for answering those. My last question for you is if people would like to find out more about you, about your foundation, where's the best place for people to go to find out more about you? Well, we are, as I sort of hinted, we are revamping our expedition website as we speak. So that's kind of under construction as we plan new expeditions. The Anne Bancroft Foundation is a good place to find out about the wonderful work that uh, they do. And there's mm-hmm. a little bit on there about me. Mm-hmm. And but it's an exceptional they're, foundation. They're, they're, yeah. And they're more, more they're more engaging. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't believe that, but okay. You mentioned this other expedition website. Are people able to, to go on expeditions with you? No, we no. don't. We're not leading trips. But, okay. Um, it's usually um, something that talks about where we're going next. Okay. And, there's our curriculums. Yeah. We have a variety of curriculums that we offer for free and that those are on there. Okay. Lots of imagery and things like that. Yeah. You know, I, I was working for an organization and, and uh, we did outdoor trips, but I ran the dog setting and winter program part mm-hmm. up on the Gunflint, and okay. um, people would come from all over the U S just to try it out. Yeah. You know, there, there is an intrigue about, this this winter thing yeah there is <laughs> I mean, it, it helped to have the dogs but it but it was it was really winter that mm-hmm. that drew their curiosity and they just wanted to see if they could do it yeah I, I and think they right. had a great spirit and yeah. it was it was awesome and we filled them all the time too it is very so. interesting and and i i love that i love seeing that people are eager to get out into the winter and you know we really didn't talk about the fact that we are going to offer dog sledding, but we will have dog sledding, which is something new. We've never done at the point. Um, yeah. But Janet um, from the Duluth area, she's going to come and bring, I think she said, 18 dogs um, down. Oh, good. And yeah. Sunday morning, you know, we'll lead short excursions around the lake. So I'm so excited for it's our guests such, to experience it's that. so fun. Yeah. Well, Anne, I want to say thank you again for taking the time to talk with me today. I've so enjoyed our conversation and I'm truly looking forward to having you up to the point retreats with us in February at our love work retreat. I think you're going to just provide so much inspiration and wisdom to the guests that are going to be gathering there and just grateful for your time and and energy that you're going to share with us there. Uh, If you would like to join that retreat, you can find out more information by going to our website, www.thepointretreat.com. 
ChristianPointRetreats.com or find us on our Instagram, Facebook, or LinkedIn handle. Otherwise, I hope that Anna and I's conversation today and podcasts here inspires you to rebel and be well. You've been listening to the Rebel and Be Well podcast, hosted by Krista Ryman, registered nurse, founder, and CEO of Lifestyle Medicine Retreat Center, The Point Retreats, which is located amidst the woods and waters of northern Minnesota. If you'd like to ask Krista Rymel or one of our past or upcoming guests a question that will be aired on a future show, simply call 612-352-9177 and leave a message. Please know that when you leave a message, it may be used in whole or in part on a future podcast episode. Again, that phone number is 612-352-9177. Please hit subscribe on whatever podcast source you found us on and rate and review our show. We'd love to hear feedback. Rebel and Be Well is recorded at the studios of Minnesota Podcasting located in St. Paul, Minnesota. Find them online at mnpodcasting.com. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the individual participants alone and do not necessarily reflect the views, opinions, or policies of the Point Retreats, Minnesota Podcasting, or any other organization. All medical issues, concerns, diagnoses, medications, and treatments must be managed by your doctor. We do not replace any clinician's medical advice or treatment. Join us next time for Rebel and Be Well.